I guess I went through the last 10 years of my career not really knowing how good I was and that's what it I guess the whole doping and sports situation that's what the impact of it is on clean athletes um, I wonder whether athletes are actually that attached to the tangible thing anyway I think it's more if you speak to most Olympic medalists, they'll talk about the moment of receiving the medal, not the medal itself, and most don't have them out. I mean, I've got it hung up over the recycling bin. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast, hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. Thank you very much for joining me. If you joined us last week, you'll know that just for a few weeks, we're taking a break from newer guests and we're delving back into the archives of some of the great guests that I've had over just under two years of the Connected Leadership Podcast. And we're going to go right back to the beginning, uh, to our first live episode now, uh, where I talked to Olympic bronze medalist uh, and former Team GB captain, uh, British record hold, holder in the javelin, Goldie Sayers. Uh, so I will pass over to Andy from two years ago, who will tell you a little bit more. I was delighted to be joined in conversation by one of the leading British athletes over the last couple of decades, Goldie Sayers. Goldie uh, eventually won a bronze medal from the 2008 Beijing Olympics, although she only received it in 2019. And she was also an inspirational captain for Team GB at the European Championships in 2014. We talk about both of those incidents and more during her career, during our conversation, as well as Goldie's experiences as a business coach and her transition from athletics to the business world, just understanding how difficult that transition is. One of the most important things I wanted to understand from Goldie was how you take a group of high-performing individuals and mould them into a team. Goldie was very thoughtful during our conversation, and I think she, she, she shared some really fascinating wisdom, and we were joined during our conversation by a bird that sat right outside my window and sang the whole way through. So you'll get some accompaniment as well as you listen. I hope you enjoy it. I started out by asking Goldie, to what degree did her backup team work together when looking at her development as an elite athlete? Yeah, I think sport recently has become a bit siloed, or I think one of the problems is people not talking to each other. So a perfect team is one where everybody is sitting around a table and discussing and effectively identifying the goal and everybody working towards it kind of in unison rather than having lots of experts but them kind of taking the lead on something and not talking to the other person and actually that might have a negative effect on performance see that's that's where i sort of that's what i want to get under and really understand because it's easy to picture that in a team sport you know you can imagine at a, a major football club you know, the, the physios and the management team and the nutritionists all getting together and effectively strategizing what the team needs. Is it in an individual sport like athletics, that's a lot harder to, to picture. You yeah. say that you see it changing. Uh, what are the changes you've seen and, and what was it like for you when you were competing? It's partly, I think, the kind of we've come through a sort of amateur era in, era in athletics and you could argue it's still an amateur sport. And the coaches, so, you know, 
important in an athlete's performance. But now obviously you've got sports science coming in and people who are paid in those um, different areas of expertise when the coach might still be working voluntarily. So I think for me, the biggest thing with high performance is balance. So you need to be good across the board in all of those support services, but everybody needs to know where they they fit in in the bigger picture because say for example in the javelin you need to be strong but you also need to be quick powerful coordinated flexible and it'd be easy for an snc so strength conditioning coach to get you very very strong but at the detriment to all those other things that are equally important so um i guess it's for people to know their place and know their value but not think they're more important than the rest of the team and and who's looking after that for you i mean i imagine as an athlete you just want to focus on throwing the javelin as far as you can is it your coach do you have a manager that looks after and brings that team together or do you get your hands dirty I think it's it should be up to I think the athlete it should be central to all of that or certainly coach and athlete that relationship um, and deciding who's going to work best with you certainly when I was competing I could choose who I was coached by and um, to some greater or lesser extent who I'd work with but generally they were sort of chosen to work with the governing body but when I was competing they were the best in their field or certainly in the country so um, I think it's important for the athlete to have ownership of who they work with because at the end of the day it's your career Um, so and 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 the ability to make tough decisions is is paramount in anything I think. And you're, you're coaching business executives now and you know as a speaker I, I see a lot of business I see a lot of sports uh, celebrities speaking on, on the speaking circuit and trying to ally their their message with the message of business some more successfully than others with what we've just been talking about and the coaching that you're doing with executives where do you see those parallels what what can a business leader learn from the relationships that you built with the team that helped you throw as far as you could I think what's paramount, what I've noticed in kind of exact coaching is just making sure everybody is aligned to the goal. It's amazing the number of businesses you can go into. And if you ask everybody in the business, what are you actually trying to achieve here? I think it's very few who would come up with exactly the same answer. So having real clarity over purpose, which in sport is easier because, or certainly in Olympic sport, because it is all about the Olympic Games. But in business, it it might not be as obvious or the CEO might or management team might think it's very obvious and everybody else isn't quite sure what they're pulling towards. And I think when everybody is pulling in the same direction, know what knows what the goal is, then it makes it a bit more easy to, you know, get through the difficulties or have those sort of challenging relationships and also be clear about what each team member is there to do as well. Um, that's the other thing I'm always a bit flabbergasted with is people's roles and so if they don't have clarity of their role then they start you know doing all the busy work and that's when people get really overloaded and um, and with that needing the ability to say no so it is very similar I think it is more difficult in business because I think they I don't think it's as clear as to what you are trying to achieve sometimes um, and obviously you're dealing with a lot, you know, more people often um, than you are in sport. And and it is just the relational aspects of business that 
most people find most tricky at times. So, but for me, clarity is key on anything you're trying to achieve. So have you, have you worked with any executives who have had that challenge where people aren't on the same page? They don't necessarily all see the same objective and you've, you've been able to turn them around on the same path. I think it's more around, I find goal setting whilst I use it all the time in sport, it's not necessarily used to the same degree in business or I think people think it is, but actually how you achieve those, those goals and having timelines. And I think, um, and people being accountable to those goals as well. So I think sometimes it's just not, not planning far enough ahead often is the problem but that can be a more of a um or at an organizational level so the people underneath that then struggle with when they need to be doing things by so again it really just comes down to clarity and objective and and kpis really so so you're an olympic athlete you're you're working towards a four yearly schedule for the olympics a two yearly schedule for the euros and and, and then the worlds and so forth mm. so you've got very clear lines and mm-hmm. you know as an athletics fan i you know i've often heard people say that they're timing their season to peak at the right time mm. and that's a lot clearer and that's missing in business which impacts that message i think so i, I think you could easily get those um those key milestones in business. I just think it's the the whole busyness concept at the moment. People have got so busy doing stuff that they don't actually take any time out to sort of reflect and think about what they are trying to achieve and, and when they need to hit key milestones and work backwards with the end in mind. I think that's not necessarily a practice that happens as much as it should. And it's all a bit reactive rather than kind of forward thinking and forward planning. And just to to balance the books a little bit, so I don't get accused of knocking business. Um, what have you seen in in the way that businesses get teams working together that sport could learn from? Um, I think, I mean, certainly in my career, I used a business coach when I was nothing nothing to do with sport. But I think you know, coaching in business is now fairly commonplace. Um, I think there's a lot of really good in big organisations, a lot of good CPD stuff that goes on that I think sport could utilise much more so with athletes. I think it happens with staff. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of different practices. I'm not saying all business is bad, and I'm sure some of those businesses do. I've just found in, in large businesses, I think it's, it's a lot easier when you've got a business of maybe, you know, 15 people where everybody is accountable and can go towards a certain goal, which, you know, effectively in sport, you're working with quite small groups. Um, but when it becomes like a multinational and you're dealing with hundreds and thousands of people, it, you know, the message can get watered down. Um, so yeah, I'm sure there's, there's crossovers both ways and you could, you can easily learn from both. I would say. I'm interested in the, the use of a business coach when you were an athlete. And of course we met many years ago now, um, when I came and delivered a, a business focused presentation to uh, British Athletes Commission uh, yeah. and athletes there. Um, why did you have a business coach? And, and do you think that you were in the minority amongst athletes that uh, in having an, an eye even at that stage, because this was quite a few years before your retirement, you know, having yeah. an eye on where you would go afterwards. 
Yeah, it wasn't anything to do with business. It was just a coach to be very, very objective. Somebody who didn't know anything about the event just to see mm. if I'd missed something. And um, I guess it was towards the end of my career. So, you know, just not leaving any stone unturned. It was just the way I was. I just made sure I tried to do everything I possibly could to kind of um, improve my performance in any way I could. And I, I just appreciated the objectivity because sometimes I think we can get a bit too close to our own event or sport and I guess that's what you're doing in coaching you're just looking in someone else's goldfish bowl some of the people I work with I don't you know have any idea what they do really on a daily basis but seeing the bigger picture and 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 not getting too bogged down in the detail can be quite useful I think I'm a big fan of that I'm a big fan of uh, Matthew Syed's book Rebel Ideas I don't know if you've read that Um, all about cognitive diversity yeah. Uh, and, and building around you a network of people who who don't see things the same as you and don't have the same experiences yeah. and it's something that I'm always talking about having that diversity of thought in your network yeah did did you know you had a business coach who came from outside of sport were there any major breakthroughs did they see something completely differently that you were able to to adapt to um I think not not huge but I think just the check and challenge on certain things that you think they're just well they have to they're just the way they are those sort of conversations um to just challenge my sort of thinking and actually he I remember him talking about just the timings on how many opportunities you've got to compete prior to your final olympics that kind of thing and just seeing it in a very sort of numbers objective way because obviously when you're in it you've got a lot of emotion attached to it and um taking all the emotion away and just looking at it really pragmatically it wasn't anything i don't think he brought anything wildly unique but i remember being challenged on things which i really appreciated which we all need and it's the marginal gains particularly in sport isn't it that make all the difference yeah i think marginal gains but i think marginal gains is what you're trying to do on a daily basis i think some people look at the icing on the cake without having the cake sometimes and it's often the simple things done well repeatedly that get, get the best results for sure well, well let's look at something done really well uh you you captained the british athletic team to tremendous success in the european championships in 2014 uh, and your speech to the team on the eve of the championships was credited by many of the athletes uh, as inspiring them to their best ever performance how do you bring together a team of exceptional individual talents who are steeped in competition and bring them together as a team? How do you, how do you pull that team together without losing those individual qualities that make them excel to that level? Um, well, certainly at those championships, so that was 2014, it was almost, it was almost two teams actually because you had some very experienced people, myself included, who were kind of getting on a bit and then you didn't really have anybody in the middle in terms of age range. And then you had very young, the sort of new, the new performers or the new kids on the block, really. And I was just trying to amalgamate the two together. And I think that speech was around, you know, how would you perform if it was your final day competing? Because you never think about that as an athlete at all. But because I'd come through quite a serious injury and didn't think I'd compete again you almost have a new lease of life and, and, and really enjoy the experience. Um, within an athletics team, obviously, you've got a whole host of individuals. You've got, obviously, pockets of teams and relay teams and things, but you are trying to bring all these individuals together and effectively 
make them as comfortable as possible in order to perform at their best in that week, which is the most important week of the year. Um, and it, for me, it's just, a, it, it's respecting people's sort of needs and wants and how they operate. And whilst trying to benefit from a bigger team, because it is the only time you really come together as a team. And I think there is strength in that and that needs to be um, kind of promoted. So there will be athletes who like to kind of hide away and stay in their rooms and just focus and not really see or speak to many people that often. But there are some people who need people around them who are more extrovert. And um, I think, you know, around, I certainly did a lot of work around having an area that people could just sort of chill out in and introduce young members of the team to older guys um, because they like, you know, telling them everything they know and sort of mentoring them. Um, and also it was at the time when I think social media had just started to become more and more kind of prevalent. So the young guys were like Snapchatting around the hotel and don't actually come together to talk that much. Whereas, um, you know, in previous team trips, you'd be in the dining hall talking for hours together. Um, so I was trying to kind of keep that involved. So almost cross pollinating the age groups a bit. So it's just bringing, I mean, really, it's just human kind of dynamics really just bringing everybody together and making people feel as comfortable as possible and if they did have any problems um being able to come to you if they did need to have anything changed or moved or whatever it might be so um so yeah it, it really came down to just talking to everybody it literally is basic as that and making sure everybody was happy and they knew who to speak to if they weren't and, and did you find that a lot of the time, say, for example, the younger athletes or the more introverted athletes who were quite happy with their own company, did mm. you find that you were quite happy to leave them to that a lot of the time? Or were you trying to encourage them into the team more to try and forge more of a bond? Um, I think it's just checking if they are introvert and need to be introvert or if they're not involving themselves because they are shy or, or, or sorry that they just not particularly confident. And I think, um, it's probably a, a balance of both. You certainly, you certainly, they'll know their own competition prep by that stage. It's not really a junior team. It's everybody's kind of set in their preparation kind of routines. But if there is the opportunity to come together, then we definitely take it and just making sure that people supported other members of the team when they'd finished or in between rounds or whatever it might be and just being respectful of teammates it's, it's it is basic stuff really but you know if you finished not being like noisy in corridors and basic things but that can affect a performance it's all those small things that can make quite a big difference so um so yeah it wasn't it kind of wasn't rocket science but i think just trying to use the team element within an individual sport for sure teacher on a school trip springs to mind with, with well, yeah. <laughs> some of that you, yeah. you, talked, you talked about some of the the more senior athletes playing a mentoring role did you get a lot of support from the, the, the other senior athletes was it more of a almost a team captaincy um did people sort of step forward or did you ask them for their support on, on um i think it can happen quite organically i just try and make sure that people sort of sat together at dinner and made sure or encouraged like you know some of the old ones who are in similar event groups to kind of have a chat with 
youngsters because on those kind of teams you'll get you know somebody their first international and they may be you know they're in the same team as one of their heroes and they do find it quite difficult to talk to them so literally just introducing people can be you know massive really because whilst they're very you know great performance in in whatever their discipline is they're just like everybody else and get nervous talking to their hero so I think the mentoring side kind of happens organically when those kind of um kind of relationships are kind of introduced and also just from copying as well they'll see people how they operate in that environment and um and maybe take on some of those kind of behaviors kind of naturally really have you subscribed to the connected leadership podcast yet to make sure that you never miss an episode for more resources from andy including a regular tips newsletter videos blogs and more podcasts please visit andylapata.com forward slash insights so so if someone's leading uh, a team of very talented individuals in business, uh, in a business context now, what can they take from, from that experience in terms of managing that team, forging a bond within the team while giving, as you were saying, that people the space um, to, to, to work in a way that suits them? I mean, I certainly found in sport, and, so, and this can be like the support staff as well as the sports people themselves, that you are dealing with some quite, or very talented, highly talented slightly maverick type individuals and they're not really people that you can manage I don't think you kind of have to I mean obviously there needs to be boundaries but let them kind of carve their own path a little bit or give them some leeway and you know they are going to think differently um but just understanding what everybody's motivators are or what motivates them and what they need in order to perform well um and, and, you know, having a bit of a code of conduct around what isn't acceptable, but then, you know, allowing people to express themselves how they need to, I think, is really, really important because we are all, you know, very different. <laughs> so it, it comes down to the basics of a one size doesn't fit all. Um, yeah. Creating the right boundaries, but within that, give people the, the flexibility and the freedom to, to engage yeah. in the way that works best for them. <laughs> so going back to your career, um, you know, you've had to cope with your share of adversity. In 2008, you came fourth and eventually got bronze medal years and years later after finding out that the Russian athlete had cheated you uh, on the day um, after, after um, failing a, a, a test for steroids. Uh, and then you went into 2012 as one of the favourites for a gold uh, and got a bad injury in the run-up when you were in the absolute form of your life. Uh, it must have been very difficult to deal with all of the emotions you had to go through on both occasions. Um, how did you deal with that and what role did other people play in, in helping you on that journey? Um, I mean, the 2008 experience, it was, it was a difficult one because it was, I, you know, I'd broken the British record and it was a very, very successful performance. Um, but obviously I didn't win a medal on the day. So, you know, there wasn't anything tangible to kind of show for it. Um, but, you know, sometimes you do perform really, really well and, and don't place as, as you'd like. And other days you perform averagely and, and win. Um, so it took a little while to be, to get my motivation back and 
And at that point, you know, it, my coach was, you know, totally understood that. And it, it was about not rushing back into training when I wasn't totally 100% motivated, which was never, ever a problem. But it just took me a little bit longer to get back into training. But we had, you know, the 2012 Olympics to look forward to. And that was definitely motivating. And then 2012, it was just, you know, again, I broke the British record three weeks before, but in the same competition, partially tore an elbow ligament. And, you know, it was devastating not being able to perform in a home games as I'd like to have done. I think, you know, I had, well, obviously I used people, I had to have surgery, et cetera. So I had to have surgeons and, and things involved, but obviously, um, yeah, I mean, I did, I did talk to people. I mean, for me, I, I wasn't quite ready to retire. So I wanted to get back to competing. Um, I had to acknowledge that it was a really shitty thing to happen, but Yeah, I just moved on and tried to get back, get back to competing, which I did sort of against the odds. Um, but yeah, I did. I mean, I did use my team a lot and um, just, I, I guess, just looked ahead to the next goal, really. And, um, you know, got the kind of disappointment out of my system and, and moved on rather than looking back. Otherwise, you're constantly living in, you know, 20 years ago. And was it mainly your your professional team around you that helped you work through it? Um, you know, you must have had a lot of friends and family sort of mm. reach out to see how you are and console. And it must have been tempting at times times not to want to engage in that. You know, how did you how did you handle not making them feel bad and or, or not sort of creating the wrong impression with them, but also finding the space that you needed to process? Yeah, I mean, it probably was a time where I used friends and family more than my professional team. I mean, after such a big event, especially the 2012 Olympics, which were probably even bigger still, everybody, you know, most of my team had come over from other countries to work in the UK. So a lot of them were going back again and contracts were up for renewal. So there was a lot of stress and things out, you know, around anyway. Um, so that was probably a time that I utilised friends and family more so. but. Um, you know, I remember I, I did just look ahead to what I needed to do. I, I, you know, I enjoyed myself for a few weeks and months and then had surgery. And then it was just all about getting fit again because it was quite, a, it was a very significant injury. So I wanted to be able to, you know, just use my arm really. I wasn't thinking too far beyond that. But then, then I started to think about, obviously, I didn't want to retire. So got back to competing and, um, but yeah, I mean, it was a fairly devastating time, but I'm very much, I just kind of tend to look ahead to the next challenge rather than keeping looking back and beating myself up. I think also making sure you understand why it happened as well. Um, for some reason, that elbow injury, you know, there's still no real reason, but there's a reason for it happening, but it was a pretty unlucky injury. So, and, and luck does play a little bit of a role. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and actually I never really believed in that until that day and, and that was probably my biggest learning is that we all need a little bit of luck at times. With the 2008 um, medal I heard you say to Simon Mundy on the Don't Tell Me the Score podcast that it, it sits around a bin, uh, <laughs> a recycling <laughs> bin in your home and, and that you don't have the attachment to the medal that you might 
have thought you would because obviously that was the, the goal was always an Olympic medal yeah how much do you think the waiting took away from that and the not being able to celebrate at the time at the moment when you'd actually uh, it? yeah I think I mean I think that that's definitely true because I think you know when you've got the medal at the time I think it gives you the sort of vindication that you're on the right track and you're doing the right things and you're improving um so I guess I went through the last 10 years of my career not really knowing how good I was and that's what it I guess the whole doping in sports situation that's what the impact of it is on clean athletes um I wonder whether athletes are actually that attached to the tangible thing anyway I think it's more if you speak to most Olympic medalists they'll talk about the moment of receiving the medal not the medal itself and most don't have them out I mean I've got it hung up over the recycling bin um almost because I think I should have it out really um but yeah it it doesn't yeah because it, 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 it only really um correlates with the 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 ceremony from last year so 11 years later so it doesn't I don't look at the medal and think of Beijing actually I think of the medal rewarding ceremony which was great but obviously the real thing would have been a lot better you had the bonus of getting it in front of a home uh, a home crowd at least yeah there was that yeah there was a few more Brits in there certainly than there would have been uh, so you know let's let's finish looking at your 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 business your move to a business career because it's something we were talking about before we started recording the podcast but that's a big jump for uh, an athlete and we touched on it earlier um coming out of a career devoted to the sport into something completely new uh, and, and unknown and, and clearly you you did some prep for, for that beforehand and you've made a very successful transition you've got your property company you've got your executive coaching your speaking uh, as well as the media punditry so you seem to be doing very well not every athlete does uh, I know that you um, studied a master's on transition and um, many people listening to this podcast will face a similar challenge at some point in their career you know maybe um, moving after 20 years in one industry into something completely different in a, in a similar role um, how can your professional network help you on, the, on that journey how do other people help you with with that type of transition well, I think something that sprung to mind, it was always, I think, one of your first books about having a network before you need it. And that applies um, in any kind of transition. I mean, my research certainly identifies that if people's kind of athlete identity is really, really strong, they tend to struggle a little bit more in um, transition. And that could be the same if you were a medic or a, I don't know, accountant, whatever it may be. If you've had that one profession and been absolutely obsessed with it for you know 50 years or whatever it is then you don't tend to have many other identities so having trying to kind of forge some level of balance or dual career certainly with sports people it is really important having the social support that isn't necessarily in your direct um, business or area of expertise so it's more broad so when you do retire you know you've still got a support network and it doesn't disappear um with your retirement um the the research i did suggested that a gradual tra transition is really important um so it should almost be a bit of a bell-shaped curve rather than just a stop and fall off a cliff um and 
and having some links with sport when you do retire. So again, that aids that gradual transition. Um, um, and we also found, you know, having mentors who've been there and done it and gone through that process, um, but have maybe done it a few years before you just to share, you know, how all their experiences. So you, what you're feeling isn't, you know, you think it's really unique and it's not. And I think the biggest thing I think is it's, it's as much an emotional transition as it is a practical one. Um, so people think in sport, certainly, or, you know, when I get a new job, it, everything will be fine. But actually it's the emotional, you know, you are going through a bit of a grieving process, which takes time. And I think I found about, you know, two years or so for most people was when they started to feel like they were starting to forge a new identity. Because, you know, the question of what do you do now can be quite stressful for people if they haven't decided what that is. Um, and, and I do think, you know, whilst I did that research on sports people, I think it, it very much aligns with people retiring in any industry or going through any any kind of transition but the people who are more successful have planned for it early and utilize the help on offer because there is help in sport it's just people are trained to be kind of you know fairly unemotional in sport um so and not asking for help whereas actually that's the best thing you can do in in transition so there's a lot of crossovers between you know sport and anything else for sure yeah, I mean, I think when I asked the question, I was thinking particularly of, of someone I know who um, I mentioned to you uh, off air that they changed industry completely uh, and after 20 years in banking moved into a completely different world, but in the same role. And I think listening to what you've said there, you know, one of the key things is to hang on to that anchor of the same role and yeah. maintain their networks in that role rather than the yeah. industry, yeah. finding the mentors and being patient as well. Because yeah. uh, I certainly know it took him a, a best part of a year to settle in. But mm. the last time we spoke, he was a lot happier and a lot more comfortable in the role. Mm. Uh, so it's just allowing that transition to happen. I think it is a positive as well, because actually he could be bringing fresh insight from a different industry and something new. Um, and, and yeah, and I think it is important to identify what the positives are of what you've just done or what the industry you're in is. I mean, certainly in, sport I found you know certainly in my business a lot of the behaviors and mindset stuff are the more unusual things um and dealing with failure and kind of going again the whole time you know isn't that common so I think my sporting career certainly helped um my business one so there are a lot of positives as well and have you kept a lot of your um, strong relationships from your sporting life and are they playing a role in your new professional life? Um, other than <laughs> people wanting free advice. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I still keep in, in touch with, you know, training partners and teammates and things. So, um, and, and obviously with social media, it's a bit strange when you think you've spoken to someone, but you seem to know what people are up to. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I kind of, yeah, I, I still keep in touch and I, I still am in relatively involved in the sporting world as well. So yeah, I'm kind of have a bit of everything, which is nice. Fantastic. Well, thank you for joining me, Goldie. I think it's been fascinating. Really enjoyed it. So, so thanks for coming on. Great. Thanks, Andy. I'd like to extend my thanks once again to Goldie for joining me 
back in the very, very early days of the podcast and helping me to kick it off with such style. I hope that you've enjoyed another dip into the archives. Join us again next week when we'll be dipping back into Connected Leadership Podcast Gold. In the meantime, if you can, help us to spread the word. We're still a growing podcast with uh, great feedback uh, and, and a growing army of regular listeners, and I appreciate if you're one of them. Um, if you can help us to grow some more and, and, and encourage more people to listen, I would really appreciate it. So please rate and review on the podcast channel of your choice. Share on social media. You'll see the audiograms and the quotes that I share uh, that will make it nice and easy for you. And just tell people to come and listen to the Connected Leadership Podcast. Uh, either way, I look forward to seeing you again for another visit to our archives next week. Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great connected leadership tips.